This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Welcome back to our long-awaited reinvigoration of World to Win. I know we haven't had an episode in quite some time, but that's because we've had so much exciting things happening. Um, And I'm here today with Dara, who's going to talk all about the exciting things that the International Socialist Alternative has been doing this summer. Um, but before we get into today, today's episode, I do want to say hi to you, Dara. How have you been? Where are you these days? What's new? Tell me everything. I'm very good. Yeah, I'm um, back in Ireland at the moment for uh, a brief holiday. And then, yeah, I've been good. I've been at the ISA school, which I think you've been referred to, which was a big success of um, 250 socialists from around the world discussing politics, theory, perspectives for this new period and how we can best build the organization. Um, I was also on the organizing team for that, so I think it did take a a few years off my life, but um, (laughs) it all worked out in the end. So yeah, it's uh, all very positive. How have you been? I've been good. I did not, unfortunately, uh, attend. Uh, I was really looking forward to finally meeting Yara in person. Dara, you and I go way back. Um, but again, it's another year of still COVID scares, so I, I didn't get to meet her. But I'm excited to hear about it at the end of the episode, so make sure everyone stays tuned for that um, as well. Um, you know, we're here on YouTube. We also have a podcast, so make sure you subscribe so that you can know when our next episode's coming out. So today we are talking about um, the developments that we're seeing in Latin America and are we seeing a new pink tide? I'm really excited for three guests with us today. Um, We have two new guests, which is always exciting, and one of our veterans. So let's say hi to our new guests first. We have Julia from Brazil. Do you want to introduce yourself to our um, to our viewers? Um, yes, I'm Julia. I'm a teacher. I'm from Brazil. I attended the school and it was really great. Uh, I'm back in Brazil now working. Um, we are also launching the campaign of our representative here in Brazil for LSR from the International Essay from our section here in Brazil. And it's been exciting and a lot of work. That's so exciting. I'm looking forward to those developments. We also have another new guest with us, um, Josefat from Mexico. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Josefat. I'm from uh, the Mexican section of the ISA. Uh, I work in the public sector. Uh, I work in the Education Ministry of Mexico. And we here in Mexico have been very busy. We have just been developing our uh, youth uh, platform. So we have our first works in, the, in this week. So we have been very busy with, with this work. Well, I'm great to have you on the show and hopefully this isn't your last time. And one of my all-time favorite guests, Andre from Brazil as well. How have you been? Long time no see. How are you, Toya? Dara, comrades? Well, I'm fine. I'm also coming back to Brazil from the ISA school and uh, we are now starting the electoral campaign now in Brazil, which in fact is a campaign, is a fighting against Bolsonaro, against the attempt of coup of Bolsonaro. So we are preparing ourselves for a very hot period here in Brazil in the next months. And we are going to get a little bit into the situation in Brazil and what's going on with Bolsonaro. So I'm excited to hear about that as well. 
Um, so like I said, we're going to be talking about um, the developments in Latin America. And since we launched World to Win, um, you know, analysis of events in Latin America has featured heavily on our show. Um, like I said, we've had Andre on many times, so feel free to go back and look for some of those episodes. Um, but it's a region that has been historically plagued by inequality, poverty. Um, it was hit especially hard by COVID, etc. And we're seeing a grim situation facing the working class and poor, which, um, you know, is, of course, exacerbated. Um, you know, COVID hit. Um, we have economic disruption caused by the war in Ukraine, which we're seeing effects across the world. Um, the rising costs of, of living and, and commodities. Um, and, you know, it's pushing people further and further into debt. And more than that, it's a region that time and time again has found itself at the epicenter of global class struggle, very inspirational class struggle, um, which we'll talk a little bit about. We've seen mass revolts, um, you know, political polarization, elements of revolution, counter-revolution, a strong women's movement, which we love to see. And over the last period, we've seen these trends continue with significant protests in places like Peru, Ecuador, Panama. And these protests are over um, the rising cost of living and shortages of um, essential items. And we've also seen uh, the election of a number of left figures um, in Chile and Colombia, um, with some talking about this new pink tide, which I was referencing, um, similar to the wave of struggle and center-left governments that uh, we saw in the 2000s. And so I'm excited to talk a little bit about that today with our guests, some of the similarities and differences that we're seeing. Um, the other more worrying side of this era of crisis is the continued growth of the far right. Um, as Andre was mentioning with Bolsonaro, we're going to have Brazilian elections in October. Um, and there's an important debate on the left amongst workers and youth about how we can truly defeat Bolsonaro um, and everything that he that he represents. So we're going to get right into it. First, I want to talk to Josefat. So on a previous episode of World to Win, we were talking about the global food crisis, um, you know, especially that's been accelerated by the situation in Ukraine. Um, and we discussed the protests that broke out in Peru in response to the price um, hikes uh, over food and fuel and other shortages. And since then, similar movements have developed in Ecuador and Panama, where the working class faced the exact same problem. So can you talk a little bit about what the character of these movements are? Yeah, uh, well, as you said, uh, the protests in the three countries, in Ecuador, Peru, and Panama, uh, have in common that our, our movements whose trigger have been the increase in the cost of living of the working class. Uh, in all three cases, the mobilizations also began as a result of the rise in fuel prices, uh, which affected also the prices of the market basket. Um, and this situation was followed by large mobilizations, uh, especially by hauliers. But later, uh, other sectors of the working class joined the, the mobilizations. Um, also, this situation is linked with the high rates of inflation, of inflation uh, recorded throughout the world, especially in the neo-colonial world uh, in Latin America. Uh, we have seen uh, very high uh, peaks of, of the inflation rates. So this increase in the cost of living has had an impact in the working class around the world, especially in those countries with more fragile economies. Uh, and the working class around the world is now facing a threat that puts millions of people uh, in front of the problem that it, each time their salary is not enough to buy food, uh, medicines and other products uh, or to pay the bills. So uh, it's remarkable um, how even despite also the, the, 
the trade union bureaucracy and also the, the right wing movement, uh, the right wing uh, governments in places like Panama or also uh, and in Ecuador also the right wing government. But uh, even when when a, a left wing government has a right in Peru, it's it's uh, remarkable how the people it's organizing and also fighting for better uh, living conditions. Uh, as I said, uh, I think that the trade union um, uh, role in those protests has been uh, very uh, special because um, the, the bureaucracy has all has every time has, have uh, the perspective to um, limit limit to limit the 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 the, uh, the gains of, of the working class movement, but now the bureaucracy has been forced to to call to to national uh, strikes in, in all the, the three cases in Panama, in Peru, and also in Ecuador, uh, and well. Uh, the, as I said before, it's not only the uh, strikes in the in some sectors. No, there have uh, sectors uh, of workers like uh, students, like teachers. Uh, sorry, but also industrial workers uh, have joined these movements and also have been linked with some other sectors of the working class and peasantry as the indigenous people. Not that uh, I think it's one of the of the most remarkable uh, points in these uh, three movements in in, in Latin America. Uh, but also, uh, it, I think the, the, the involvement of the indigenous people is remarkable because uh, this sector of the society is one of the most economic, economically marginalized uh, because they have not only to face uh, racial oppression or national oppression, but also have the, to face uh, economic uh, oppression as a result of the pro proletarization process that the peasantry in Latin America has experienced during the last decades. Uh, but uh, well, I think that even when uh, Panama and Peru are uh, important uh, like examples of the working class movement, I think that Ecuador has um, an, a, a, a special factor because we have seen uh, a similar movement in the in 2019 in Ecuador. Uh, they have also mobilized 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 by the uh, increase of oil prices. And now, during the the new government of uh, of, of Ecuador after the, the last elections, they we have a, a similar movement. Uh, and now, also the indigenous people, as in 2019, have uh, played a key role uh, and even a, a leadership role of the movement. Uh, but they have been able to link with the with other sectors of the proletariat. Uh, they have linked with the trade unions, but also with sectors of the medium class. So it's, uh, I think that it's politically, it's a uh, uh, very interesting uh, development of the, of the movement in, in Ecuador. Um, but well, despite of, of this, uh, like well, the, 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 the thing that, that we have uh, said before uh, that they have linked with other sectors of the working class, uh, the movement continues to show some limitations. Uh, again, as in 2019, despite they have been able to call to a general strike that included all these sectors of the proletariat, uh, even when they have the opportunity to escalate the, the situation to a, a, revol a revolutionary situation, in 2019, they even took the, the capital city, the government had to fled to, to, to Guayaquil, another important city, but they left uh, the, the capital city. Uh, now the movement... Uh, that they have an, another opportunity to push the government uh, to, to uh, achieve more gains, but they limit to, 
to the media gain, gains of the movement. So uh, I think that this shows uh, once again that large mobilizations are not enough to 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 the I think to our to our uh, fight. No, I think that that those uh, mobilizations are important, but uh, way, without a revolutionary vanguard leading these uh, these movements, the and well a revolutionary vanguard that is capable of. Uh, to link the, the, the demands of the working class, the immediate demands of the working class with a revolutionary perspective and with also this by uh, transitory demands. Uh, we, we cannot say that we have a, a, a movement that can achieve more than, than, than the, the immediate demands. No? I think that it's, it's like um, very clarifying because uh, um, we see the, the importance of the of, of the revolutionary vanguard, the revolutionary party, you know, even with the, with the Conaye, that it's a left-wing organization of indigenous people leading the, the process in Ecuador, uh, they have clearly limitations. Even when they when now we, they have a, a more left-wing. Uh, uh, Thanks very much, Josefat. Uh, I think uh, that was extremely important about look at what is fueling these movements over the past period, but then also look at their limitations as well and what lessons can be drawn from those to apply for other movements that, that happen in Latin America. Because if we look um, at the economic, political, social situation across the continent, it's very clear that what's happening, what's happened in Ecuador, what's happened in Peru, and what's happened in Panama will not be limited to those countries. So, I want to ask Andre in particular uh, what what he thinks is on the horizon now in Latin America uh, and if we can see similar struggles um, as we've already seen there and what are some of the conditions that are leading to similar explosions. Yes, Dara. Uh, I think that uh, as uh, Joseph uh, just said, the situation is uh, really serious uh, throughout the region and uh, new social explosions are bound to occur. In the Argentinian press, for example, the, the outcome of the crisis in Sri Lanka is often commented on uh, with some dread and panic among the bourgeois analysts in, in, in this uh, press. Uh, according to Bloomberg, for example, Latin America had the fastest growth in prices in the world, except for Eastern Europe, which was directly affected by, by the war. And the economic and social shock of this is brutal in the midst of a situation that was already terrible with the crisis before the pandemic and the terrible consequences of the pandemic itself. So at the beginning of the year, there was uh, a small economic recovery in the region, but this was not sustained. Uh, with rising inflation, central banks raised interest rates and the prospect of growth only diminished. And uh, Argentina, for example, has the most serious picture after Venezuela, which is a special case, uh, Venezuela. But Argentina is uh, one of, of the most serious scenarios. For example, inflation there... Uh, this year should approach uh, 100%. So until July, the 12th month inflation reached 71%, which is the highest level in 30 years uh, since January uh, 1992. So for a working family, the impact is dramatic of the situation. For example, uh, items on sale in supermarkets no longer have price 
stocks as they change all the time. So the price of a dozen eggs at eight o'clock in the morning will not necessarily be the same at midday, for example. So the economic slowdown and inflation aggravated the situation of poverty and food insecurity. And the continuous devaluation of the Argentinian peso uh, uh, and uh, the diminishing of uh, currency reserves and the imminent inability to pay its foreign debt bring Argentinian situations closer to that of Sri Lanka, for example. So the agreement uh, made by uh, Alberto Fernandez, the Peronist government uh, in Argentina with the IMF, postponed the obligation to pay $45 billion of the Argentinian's debt. But the social and political price is too high and will not solve the problem. So uh, although uh, it's not uh, as hard as it was in the 1980s or 1990s. The IMF continues to demand a structural adjustment plan that implies uh, cuts in public funds and attacks on workers' rights. And the economic and social crisis has triggered a deep political crisis in Argentina. So the satisfaction with this scenario led to the fall of uh, Martin Guzman, the economic minister who, who signed the agreement with the IMF. In his place was uh, Silvina Batakis, a minister with closer uh, relations to the vice president, Cristina Kirchner, and supposedly more to the left. But she lasted only 24 days in office. So the new economic minister appointed by Alberto Fernandes, uh, his name is Sergio Massa, he's a right-wing politician who was um, president of the Chamber of Deputies, and he, he became a kind of a super minister with full power to apply adjustment policies, austerity policies, etc. So in this way, uh, with a profound shift to the right, the government intends to regain the confidence of the market, of the capitalists. But the prospect uh, is for more turbulence, crisis, and above all, struggles by the working class and the Argentinian people. For example, uh, in the first months of this year, more than 4,000 pickets uh, and blockades organized by the Piquetero movement uh, showed the seriousness of the social crisis and the strength of the mass movement in Argentina. So in addition to the struggle of the unemployment, the Piquetero movement, uh, in the last period we, ha we have seen important struggles of various sectors of the working class. Uh, the highlight is the teachers, uh, uh, teacher strikes in several provinces, as well as uh, health workers and other sectors, including factory workers, etc. So last Wednesday, uh, August uh, 17, the Argentinian Trade Union Confederations, the CGT and CTA, pressured by the rank and file, called for big demonstrations. The problem is that the pro-government posture of this union uh, leadership, this union bureaucracy of these unions uh, means that they do not explicitly say who they are fighting against. So they try to preserve the government. So despite this, there was a combative, a more militant unionism uh, present in these uh, demonstrations, focused on workers' demands, 
for increases in wages, pensions, and social benefits, and also uh, automatic adjustment according to the inflation, and also against the agreement with the IMF and the government's uh, economic policy. So this is the only way to prepare for new explosions to come. So prepare the workers' movement, the youth movement, the women's movement, which has enormous wave, uh, wave in, in Argentina and other Latin American countries, as well as the indigenous movement, the black people's movement, in the region to offer a global alternative to the crisis. So an alternative of the working class need to be uh, built in this process. So I think that the perspectives are for more movement in the region. It's, it's clear uh, that this will happen. Yeah, thanks very much, Andre. Um, I think that the, the point you ended on is the need to prepare, uh, the need for organization, the need to be able to... Yeah, seize the energy, seize the initiative when these inevitable explosions do erupt. Because I think that's been a feature of movements over the last number of years. Uh, Ecuador, Chile in 2019, particularly Colombia in 2021, where despite this enormous willingness to struggle to see things through to the end, uh, these movements lack the leadership and were often betrayed by a reformist conciliatory uh, leadership, which then means that all of the demands that were bringing people onto the street remained unfulfilled. And I think in that context, when it's blocked, struggle is blocked on one front, it can change to another. And, and in this context, a lot of people are turning to the electoral plane to try and defeat um, various right-wing governments across the region. So we've had Shumara uh, Castro in Honduras. We've had uh, Gabriel Boric in Chile. Uh, and most recently, Gustavo Petro in Colombia. Um, now in that context, as, as Toya mentioned, people are talking about a new pink tide. On the one hand, huge class class battles that um, bring to power, you know, center-left, reformist-left governments. Do you think that's an accurate characterization and what are some of the, the differences? What are some of the similarities? Yeah, well, uh... I think it's correct to identify that we are uh, entering another cycle of a center-left or progressive governments in many countries of the region. If you see South America, for example, if Lula wins the elections in October, we will have uh, most of the countries uh, uh, with uh, center-left governments. So, but it's also fundamental that we reaffirm how this process originates. Uh, you said uh, very correctly it is the anger uh, being expressed electorally. But a wave of anger that mainly manifested itself in the streets, in strikes and protests, some even with revolutionary characteristics, especially since 2019. So the elections of these new progressive governments reflect, albeit in a distorted way, the strength of the streets, of the great mobilizations of 2019 and 2021, for example, in the case of Chile and, and Colombia specifically. So in general, the people voted for them to achieve profound changes. And in this sense, the election of this government represents a, a victory for the people against the extreme right, against the status quo, against the terrible situation uh, the people are living uh, in. Uh, but it would be a mistake to end our uh, analysis only on this point, because it's, it's important 
to know that the ruling class also has a policy toward these governments. It uh, intends to use them to contain the movement of the streets, stifle the, the popular fury, and close the cycle of real revolutionary uprisings that we have observed since 2019. So they, I have said before, so they, they, they try to adopt the logic expressed uh, you know, by the Italian writer Tomasi di Lampedusa in the book Il Gattopardo, talking about the Italian Risorgimento. So everything must change so that uh, everything remains as it is. So uh, this is their strategy for, for the, the, the situation now. And so uh, also they will take back control of the situation, eventually even throwing in the trash Pomacy uh, when they no longer need these uh, progressive politicians. So, the experience of the mistakes and capitulations of the government of Alberto Fernandes and Cristina Kirchner in Argentina, which I mentioned earlier, uh, rises an important warning for the Latin American left. So, Fernandes was elected after the catastrophe represented by the experience of Mauricio Macri's uh, right-wing government and the mass resistance against neoliberalism. So, however, for in most of the cases, the new government has limited itself to trying to manage the chaos and crisis left by Macri. So it has not promoted any structural and profound change in the economic model. So today, it is the government experiences a deep crisis and is opening the way even for extreme right, far right, uh, alternatives in the next year's uh, elections, as in the case of this right-wing, far-right-wing uh, politician Javier Malay. So it is called the Argentinian Bolsonaro, for example. So this new uh, left government or center-left government will be under strong pressure both from the masses who want profound changes and from the ruling class who wanted to uh, uh, keep everything as it is. So in the end, what will define the future is the strength of the streets and the ability of the workers' movement to win victories and forge more consistent and coherent political alternatives. What we have seen is that these governments in general have not taken the right lessons from the first cycle of progressive governments since the, elections, uh, the election of Hugo Chavez in 1998 in Venezuela. So what was missing at that moment for the most radical wing of this government in Venezuela, Bolivia and Ecuador, for example, was not more moderation and cautions, uh, but to carry the transformation and revolutionary process through to the end. So today the new governments think they will be able to follow the path, the way adopted by Lula, for example, since 2003, with class conciliation and no break with the system and with the economic model. So this uh, went wrong for Lula and the PT, the Workers' Party in Brazil. We have seen it uh, with the 2016 uh, coup d'etat, parliamentary coup d'etat against uh, the PT, against Dilma Rousseff, and also with Lula's imprisonment and also the rise of Bolsonaro. So Gustavo Petro in Colombia, uh, on the day he was recognized as the winning candidate, he said that uh, his government intended to promote the full development of capitalism in Colombia. So in addition, he called for a national agreement to calm the electorally defeated sectors of the bourgeoisie. Lula, 
may win the elections uh, uh, again in October in the face of the disaster represented by Bolsonaro. So he's also going along the same line. So, but uh, unlike his previous government, this time for Lula and for the others, progressive government, this time there will be uh, not be a commodity boom, for example, and uh, a more favorable situation for uh, the most the modest reforms uh, Lula promoted and these governments promoted. So the crisis is deep and there will be fewer possibilities for reforms within the system. So if these governments do not promote a break with the economic and political model and system, they will face hard crisis. And it's also important to remember that, that this process generates an intense social and political polarization with the far right also uh, growing in, and uh, becoming a political alternative in a situation of a strong crisis also. So this is the alert, the alarm for this government and the necessity for us to organize the working class in an independent way to uh, build a left alternative in these situations. Andre, I really like how at the end you were getting into some of the differences because, yeah, I mean, the first pink tide, as we call it, you know, was 20 years ago. And like you said, there was a commodity boom. The world was a different um, situation. And now we're seeing, you know, stark polarization that's happening around the world, um, especially along the lines of the far right. We've got the question of the environment that has to be brought um, into the discussion as well. Um, but I want to switch gears a little bit, and I know we haven't talked to Julia yet, we're going to get to you, but I do want to ask Josephat a little bit about Mexico, because we're seeing some of the discontent um, manifest itself there in the form of the labor movement. So can you tell our viewers a little bit about what's going on um, in Mexico? Yeah, of course. Uh, in the last two years, uh, the working class movement in Mexico has experienced a process of reactivation uh, as a result. Of, of two things. Well, here in Mexico, we have discussed uh, this process and we think that uh, the first thing is the demand for better living conditions and working conditions, but also uh, now, especially in, in this last year, um, the fight for the trade, against the trade union, the bureaucracy and for democratic unions uh, that can really defend the interests of the workers. Uh, especially in recent months, uh, this phenomenon has been more visible uh, with two important strikes in Mexico. The first of them was the steel workers' strike in Michoacán uh, in March or April uh, of this year. And then the other is the national strike of the telephone workers uh, in just, that just, just happened in, in July. Um, and uh, well, the, especially the telephone workers' strike was very important because uh, the strike threatened to paralyze all the country communication. So, well, the government had to, to intervene quickly to, to, to contain the, the movement of the workers of the telephone sector. Um, but also, we have to remember that there, there have been previous movements in Mexico, such as the struggle of the GMC workers in Silao, but also the maquilador strike in Matamoros during 2019. Uh, both movements demanded, and then the, the workers were able to build a new democratic trade unions for these sectors, uh, and, and I think that it's very important because it's like the, the those two movements were the beginning of a new uh, wave of strikes of workers here in Mexico. Um, but well, we have understood that that this means that the class struggle in Mexico will begin to express itself in new spaces uh, because until now 
yeah, the, the class struggle has, de has been developed uh, more clearly within the ranks of, of Morena, the ruling party here in Mexico. Uh, now the process of, of the generation of the party and also the economic situation that it's linked with the, uh, the economic crisis of, uh, that the world is, is experiencing. Um, now the ha have a, a, an impact in the working class movement, no? and, now, and now the workers um, ha have taken a more active role in, in, in the struggle taking in, in the streets, but also in, in their workplaces. Um, and now we think that the, work, the class struggle will express itself more clear, clearly outside uh, uh, the ruling party you know, in, the, in those like um, traditional uh, institutions of the working class, like trade unions. Um, but well, this implies that the movement has gotten out of the hands of Obrador government, uh, who until now have been able to contain uh, the movement with, uh, within Morena. Uh, but now the recent events have been approved that the current government will do everything uh, to prevent the development of a, a movement beyond its control. Uh, well, especially as I said before, that this was seen during the telephone workers' strike, where, where despite the fact that the conflict between the workers uh, and the uh, and the Carlos Slim, the, the the owner of the telephone company here in Mexico, um, it was a process that had been developing for months, uh, even. Since I think it it was the, the problem started in July or August of last year, uh, the government decided to intervene until the strike started, uh, and of course uh, the government intervened not with the objective of deepening the the, the gains of the mobilization, but uh, to contain the workers and also to to negotiate with the bourgeois, you know, with Carlos Slim and and, and to well, I, I think that it's important to to mention that uh, Carlos Slim has been an important ally of Obrador gover Obrador's government, no? but uh, it's not the only uh, bourgeois that has uh, important links with the, with the left-wing government here in Mexico. And also the, the other sectors controlled by those uh, bourgeois, but they, by this uh, you know, layer of the, of the bourgeoisie, um, had experienced a, a reactivation of the working class. No? Uh, especially also in the in the food uh, in, the, in the food service sector, we have also experienced a, a development of, of an interesting movement here here in Mexico, uh, but that also has been contained. Of, of, well, the government is trying to contain uh, these mobilizations and the, the the organization of the working class. Thanks so much. So I want to now go to Julia. You know. Josephette was just talking about Mexico, and although this is the case in Mexico, we're seeing this across Latin America, um, you know, uh, uh, a fight back for uh, women's rights and reproductive rights. And it's interesting because in Latin America, um, you know, we have a society where the Catholic Church has uh, served as a key pillar of social control. Um, but it's very exciting, especially as someone from the U.S. where, you know, our access to abortion is being taken away right before our eyes. Um, we're seeing a movement um, of feminists build um, solidarity across the continent. So can you talk a little bit more about that, Julia? Yes, I'll try my best. Um, so this green tide started in Argentina right at the end of 2020 after 20 years of the feminist movement 
movement had been demanding the legalization of abortion. And then uh, Mexico, Chile, Colombia joined the tide and even Ecuador. Uh, in Ecuador, there was a significant victory too with abortion in cases of rape being decriminalized. So uh, it is essential to say that the work uh, to conquer this right was carried out by women's movements, by their organizations, and like most of these new recent ones inspired by the struggle of Argentine women and their green cloths. And we evaluate that the situation after this more than a year of legalization of abortion uh, still has some some progress to go. Uh, it is possible to see that there is little effort done by the government to make the law known and there is a difference in the structure of access to this right between large and small cities. Uh, in addition, only one of the two abortion drugs recommended by the World Health Organization is available. So uh, one of the activists' demands now is that the drug must be produced nationally uh, in Argentina, and another is for the systematization of the data to ensure that the movement itself can know the profile of the people seeking abortion and what, and what access they had. Similarly, in Mexico, women are still in, on the front line, so the federal decision uh, of decriminalization is respected in all states. Uh, among the 32 states, only four have decriminalized uh, abortion in, all, in any situation. For the rest, it is often up to the judge to evaluate case by case. Um, and the access uh, to this abortion is an is a issue still because only one city has specific abortion clinics, which is the capital, Mexico City. In Chile, it is also really hard to discuss the access to abortion, since health is not a public health there, a public health right there. And speaking of uh, my country, Brazil, uh, this le the legislation allows some cases of abortion, like when there is risk uh, to the life of the mother, when uh, there is fetal anencephaly, or uh, in pregnancy resulting of rape. Uh, but these restrictions lead people to depend on, on irregular clinics in most cases and putting uh, themselves at risk of life. And our uh, study published in 2020 identified that between 2000 and 2015, a total of 3.5 million women were hospitalized for complications from abortion in the country. Um, and even if we have threats from congressmen and politicians, including Bolsonaro's families, to these minimum rights, um, we have a service showing uh, in March this year that 87% of Brazilians are in favor of abortion in case of rape and 84% are aware that clandestine abortions are one of the biggest causes for maternal death, death in Brazil. So even if we are not as developed in awareness in, on that struggle uh, compared to our fellow countries uh, here in Latin America, uh, these threats are not like they are still outraging for most of the population. And we see that in, in, in the countries here in Latin America, we need still to focus um, on the combat of the stigma, on the taboos in society. Uh, we still have a lot to do in this regard because with the rise of the far right across the region, with caste in Chile, Millet in Argentina, uh, they they meant a significant in, uh, consciousness increase, like in sexist and um, racist rhetoric, uh, and they co explicitly combats combats feminism and threats 
threatens to attack limited abortion rights in countries where it exists. In Guatemala, for example, on March 8th, Congress pushed through a law that dramatically increased prison penalties for women, for women who abort. So now more than ever, it's time for us working class women to be on the streets, raising our agenda, building a strong program and putting pressure on governments with no confidence in class conciliation, with no confidence in the new progressive governments that are not committed uh, to the fight for abortion and who give in to conservatism. Uh, and an example of what we can achieve with a more radical approach is the recent victory of our council member Shama Sawa in Seattle in the US, who introduced the bill to make the sea a sanctuary for abortion for patients and providers. There, the police is not allowed to cooperate uh, in arrests or investigations related to abortion bans in other states. And this, this one and also the previous uh, victories I've mentioned are the result of years of mobilization and organization in the streets and in this last case of a mandate that is in fact in favor of these struggles. But even when abortion is formally legal, it is not a right for everyone, as it is usually restricted to those who can afford it. For wealthy women who can travel to other states or countries for abortion, abortion is affordable even when it's not legal in their place of residence. Um, to really give women the possibility to choose where and when to have children. And if they want to have them, we must fight for legal, safe and free abortion, uh, connect this fight with the demand for expansion and for greater investment in public health and for keeping religion apart from politics. Yeah, that's brilliant, Julia. Thanks very much for that <laughs> extremely comprehensive answer. And I like the contrast between uh, what Shama Sawant uh, and social alternative we've been doing in seattle compared to you know that more kind of um, conciliatory approach that does of new kind of reformist governments that actually um don't base themselves on the ability of the working class to struggle uh, don't base themselves on the mobilization of that working class um and i think yeah what, what uh, our members have achieved in the us goes in direct contrast to that we also mentioned Chile in your answer there and, you know, the rise of the far right and using this sexist rhetoric. Uh, and there's some other interesting processes happening in Chile because we've talked about the potential for mass movements to, particularly in Chile in 2019, to have so much potential to go further. In 2019, all the potential there was to bring down the right wing Piñera government. But three years later, after abolishing the constitution, uh, a new one has been drafted, uh, one that, you know, on the one hand does have better rights for, for women, for LGBTQ people, for indigenous people, but on the other hand, there's a lot of limitations. And now at the moment, polls are showing that a majority intend on rejecting this new constitution, um, which would actually see the Pinochet one coming back. <laughs> so I want to ask Andre, um, how did it, how did it come to this? Um, and you know what does that mean uh you know some people might look at that and say there's been a you know a rightward turn amongst the the chilean working class uh, i don't i think it's less to do with that maybe a more just some of the frustration uh with the lack of uh what's been achieved by this process so maybe you can tell us a bit about that yes dara i i think the process in chile is very important and uh as uh, you have said, uh, the forces of the masses in the streets, uh, including 
a powerful general strike, the role of the working class in this movement. This movement uh, managed to put the ruling class against the wall in 2019. They were forced to make concessions and open a process to change the constitution. But they knew how to do this in such a way as to prevent this process uh, would result in a full break with the past, be it the Pinochetist uh, past or the limited democracy of, of the last uh, three decades. So for this, they relied on the traditional political forces, but also on new left-wing political formations that emerged from uh, the rise of struggles in the years before the social uprising of uh, 2019, such as the Broad Front, the Frente Amplio itself. Uh, so from the Pact for Peace, signed by almost all the country's political forces in November 2019 to uh, today, Gabriel's Boric, Boric's uh, current compromises with moderate sectors of the Concertación and even the right-wing, uh, what we see is a huge effort to prevent uh, the structural changes necessary to get the country out of the crisis and meet the demands of the people uh, uh, that the people rise in the social upheaval of 2019. So the fact is that the new test of the constitution approved by the constitutional convention and which will go to a plebiscite on uh, 4th of September uh, is much more moderate than demanded by the forces in struggles in 2019. It uh, recognizes a series of uh, very important rights that have been denied for decades, such as you have said, and uh, 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 Julia also mentioned, the sexual and reproductive rights, uh, but also right to education, public education, the right to decent housing, recognition of domestic and care work, for example, uh, the constitutional recognition of indigenous peoples and other other important uh, points uh, uh, that are in, in the test. But however, while they promise rights for the people, they have maintained all the economic legacy of the dictatorship from privatization to the plundering of natural resources, the uh, precarization of labor and the possibility of profit from education and health and private education and health, etc. So even if the test uh, is limited, it's moderate, but even in this situation, the Chilean right wing has mobilized furiously against the new constitution. So they, they, their concern is not so much uh, on the progressive changes in the new constitutional test, but what they intend is to impose a political defeat on the social movement that triggered the constitu constituent uh, process. So this is why, uh, even without defending the text, the full text proposed by the constitutional convention, it is important to prevent the right wing from emerging politically victorious from this process, uh, including the plebiscite. So it's important to overturn once and for all the current constitution originated from Pinochet's dictatorship. So our response uh, is to vote critically for the approval, I approve, for the new constitution, but above all, to pre prepare to deepen the struggles and win the conquest that the new constitutional 
test does not bring. So for us, it's not enough to go out and vote. Even the rights promised by the new constitution will only come out of the paper with struggle, with strong struggle by the working class and the women's movement, etc. So even the Boric government cannot be trusted to implement these rights. So face it, for example, uh, with the risk of a defeat for the approval, I, I approve, uh, according to the pools, there is the possibility, the concrete po possibility for a defeat for the, the approved uh, vote. So the last maneuver of the government and its parliamentary base was to make an agreement that the most controversial elements of the new constitutional test could be later modified by the Congress. So in other words, instead of mobilizing in the streets for more radical changes, more radical transformations capable of mobilizing those who are frustrated with the limitation of the new constitution. So Boric prefers to offer guarantees to the right wing and the capitalist class that it will be even more moderate uh, in the future than the current taste of the, of the constitution. So it's, it's a shame, in fact, what the government is, is doing uh, right now. So at this moment, it's fundamental to uh, reorganize the struggle around the banners uh, rised in 2019 and link them to a socialist program capable of, of offering an effective uh, way out uh, to the crisis. And you know that our comrades in Chile are active in the struggle for the nationalization of the Chile's uh, copper and mineral and natural wealth, for example, for public education, health and pensions and uh, for a working class and anti-capitalist and socialist alternative. So this is the way, is to defeat the right wing in the plebiscite, but the main point is to reorganize the movement in the same mood uh, 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 learning the experience and uh, the lessons from from the uprising of 2019. So uh, this is the, the the challenges for the new period in Chile. I think. Yeah. Well, you talk. You spoke about the the campaign that the right wing is currently organizing around for the rejection of this constitution, but actually, in some sense, the the weak approach and and even you know Boric's own role in in derailing the movement of 2019 to filter it into institutional channels that in one sense the frustration with the reformist left can actually give space for the right wing to to get an echo with this campaign and to go on the offensive and actually <laughs> that brings me to to what i want to talk to julia about because in many ways and we've said this time and time again that bolsonaro in many ways is a product of the frustration uh, of the anger, of the demoralization and confusion that was a product of the Lula government and particularly following uh, pro-capitalist neoliberal policies. So Julia, can you explain a bit now, um, number of years into this government, what, what life is like under uh, Bolsonaro government? Sure. Um, it's being pretty preoccupied, I would say, and difficult for most working class. Uh, we are back on the hunger map. Um, food insecurity affects 52% of the population, uh, being like meaning that 9% of them, which is around uh, 19 million people, go through extreme hunger. Uh, and hunger like is a everyday reality. 
Um, also, uh, in unemployment has reached 15% uh, in 2021, uh, which means 15 million people. The, num the numbers felt a little after, uh, but with the creation of uh, precarious informal uh, low-wage jobs, uh, now we have 40.6% of the population in informal work, uh, which means around 38 million workers. Um, the government also promotes budget cuts, dismantling government, governmental protection policies, weakening environmental agencies, encouraging attacks against traditional indigenous communities, uh, the usurpation of their territory. So we are facing an enormous increase in prices of fuel, electricity, cooking gas, food, and other basic products due to the economic crisis we are facing. Andrea mentioned how uh, crazy the inflation is right now. So it is affecting uh, most working class and uh, and I cannot highlight enough how these worsening conditions are faced first by oppressed groups such as black people, women, indigenous people, uh, and then ten in each in every ten households headed by black people, most of them being women. Six have some time of, of restriction to access to food. Uh, in this scenario, we also have uh, seen surges in the in the numbers of violence. Uh, at the same time, since March 2020, when the pandemic began, the country has gained 10 new billionaires. So the increase in billionaires' wealth during the pandemic was 30%, and the top 20 billionaires in the country have most wealth than 60% of the population. Uh, so it's really obvious that there are people profiting out of our lives and that we need to fight back. The situation is pretty chaotic. Thanks so much, Julia. Yeah, and that sounds terrible. I mean, uh, especially, you know, we've talked about the effects of the war in Ukraine and how that's causing food insecurity around the world and to see Brazil get brought back, um, you know, onto that list is is very sad. Um, but a lot of people are looking towards, you know, this election coming up in October as an, you know, a grand opportunity to get rid of Bolsonaro. And it's like, giving me like PTSD flashbacks about when, you know, we were trying to get Trump out and not that Biden can be compared to Lula in that way. They're very different and it's a very different situation. But, you know, many working class people um, look to elections to really fundamentally change um, a bad situation. And right now, Lula is currently leading in the polls. So what do you think uh, a Lula presidency would actually achieve? Um, you know, should we be excited uh, for Lula to de-seat Bolsonaro? Um, and, you know, in your opinion, uh, what position should revolutionary socialists like ourselves adopt in these types of elections? To even taking a step back, I think something like not only thinking like, what if both, uh, what if Lula wins? But also thinking that there is still a way to go even on that direction. Like um, we should also have in mind that Lula still has a significant rate of rejection and disbelief, mainly because of the corruption in his party. So we know that the corruption is part of this institutional bureaucracy, uh, but Bolsonaro and his supporters are using this disbelief to intensify the attacks against democracy by using fake news and baiting propaganda. 
On the other hand, we have Lula advocating that Bolsonaro isn't strong enough to promote a coup. And by doing so, uh, Lula is only weakening, actually, class awareness and strengthening Bolsonaro's power. So we need to go, I think, in the other direction and show examples of what happened in the USA, for example, as you mentioned, uh, when even with the victory of Biden against Trump, his supporters attacked the Capitol. Um, so we need to emphasize in our... Do, do we think that something like that is possible in Brazil, like some sort of attack or, um, yeah, is that something that we think could happen? Uh, we we think so. <laughs> I would say that we, uh, in our section, believe it is possible, um, and and that's why we need to emphasize in our action with in our action with workers that we are the only ones who can stop a coup. Uh, because I see that the hope working class people have is that uh, Lula will bring back basic rights for the poorest as part of the legacy of his initial years of struggle and of his first uh, campaign in 2003. Uh, he was responsible for taking us out of that uh, list I mentioned before, the hunger map. Uh, he reduced hunger, I think, in 83%, which is a lot, right? People have this memory. However, um, that's not what we uh, he saw acting, what we saw acting along 13 years of PT. Like they, they lost this character. They are bringing more and more reforms and demobilizing the struggles up to the point where Lula's vice now, vice now and alliances are majorly with admittedly right-wing parties. Uh, so I think... Um, uh, his government would look a lot like that, uh, like class conciliation. And we need to stress that even uh, that even if we see, if people in general, working class in general, seeing Lula a way out, only by strengthening the struggles in the street is that we will be able to put our demands in the center of his government and stop fascist attempts of a coup. With such an approach, we are also guaranteeing class independence and an alternative when they see that Lula is not enough to overcome the damage Bolsonaro has done, along with the pandemic, the new Cold War, and the recessions that are yet to come. So the scenario will be worse. Uh, we need to be prepared to that. Well, Julia, we definitely have to have you back in early November to talk about what happens. I will be anxiously awaiting and paying attention um, following, uh, you know, the presidential election, but also the campaign that um, LSR is running as well. Um, so I want to thank the three of you for coming on our show today. This has been an excellent comeback episode. Um, make sure that, you know, you like the video, comment on the video and subscribe to our channel so you can stay in touch with us. Um, we'll see you guys again next time. This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!